Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham, your guide to the New York Jets sports and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. What is up, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of This is the Jet Life. Where after week two, the New York Jets find themselves with an 0-2 record. Winless, coming up short against the San Francisco 49ers, 31-13 in what was an absolutely ugly game. A game that the New York Jets should have been more competitive, but were not. A game that we had opportunities, couldn't capitalize, and where we were able to knock out three, four of their best players. Raheem Mostar, Jimmy Garoppolo, Nick Bosa, Solomon Thomas. These guys are out of the game, and the New York Jets still can't get it done against a backup quarterback with a backup running back, and it just was ugly any way you slice it. And it's two weeks in a row now. This team is flat. The offense is flat. The defense is slow, has no lateral movement. Feels like they can't get to anybody. Pursue angles are horrible. I mean, the scheme is all right, but the players there just aren't getting it done. And then offensively, I mean, this team is its becoming difficult to watch at this point. And the main reason on this whole thing is there's two things. One, Joe Douglas has clearly put an emphasis on the future. He wanted to get more draft picks. This whole thing is about to be built through the draft. We have limited cap, um, limited cap expenses, right? We don't have a ton of money tied up in players. We didn't spend a ton on free agents this year. A lot of one-year deals, smaller deals, bargain deals. We traded away our best player on the team, Jamal Adams, for two first-round picks. Again, saying that we're going to look towards the draft. That's how we're going to build this thing. Cheap, young players going to do this the right way. Team guys, that's all fine. This year, he had 10 draft picks, ended up with nine after the trade for Quincy Wilson, and you were hoping that he's going to come out and you're going to see these nine guys start to make this team better. As my dad said on Father Time last week, it's about evaluating these, you know, nine rookies, a couple of the second-year players, and even a couple of the third-year players. These are the guys that are going to be part of the core moving forward. The reason that this whole thing feels so flat is that when you look at the rookie class, we aren't playing Denzel Mims. P. Ryan is limited. We're not playing guard Cameron Clark. Ashton Davis, limited on the field. Jabari Zaniga, Bryce Hall, they're not out there. And when you go through it, and you're not playing most of the guys that are the ones that would get you excited... I mean, those are the ones that are supposed to turn this team around. And they're not even out there getting minutes. It becomes a little bit disappointing and frustrating, really, to see the same backups from last year, to see practice squad players, to see guys like Chris Hogan just picked up out of nowhere and getting all this time. It's like, what are we looking towards? What, Who are we waiting to see break out in this game? Very few players on the field that even feel like they have that possibility. So we got to get those rookies back. Right now, it's tough sledding. The offense is ugly. The game plans are bad offensively. Feels like the creativity is just lacking entirely from Adam Gase in the offense, but we'll get to the coaching and stuff later. Uh, lot, lots to unpack in this one. Not a great game, of course. We were hoping through the first two games, maybe at least one of the games, you know, you're playing the Super Bowl NFC team, the San Francisco 49ers. You're playing playoff team Buffalo Bills. It's very possible that you're 0-2. But the 0-2 that the Jets are right now, is an ugly, flat, just, it's a really abysmal 0-2. It's possible they can get it around. Right? We said in the beginning, if the Jets could go 2-2 two and two in the first quarter of the season, that would be a pretty good thing. We'd be in a good shape to potentially make a playoff run. If we could go 2-2 two and two in these first games. Well, now we got to win the next two. 
And even though it's possible, I'm not going to say that the Jets can't get hot because we've seen Sam Darnold and this Jets team get hot when you least expect it. But when you see what we've seen for the last two weeks, there's no reason to really think that they're going to come out against the Colts or against the Broncos on a Thursday night game and light the world up. They're not getting many players back this week. They'll be getting a few back for the Broncos game, but what's it really worth when this is the type of offensive game plan and strategy that you're rolling out, the type of players that are taking the field? It could be the re- a tough season for the rest of the way, but we're going to enjoy it the way that we can. And worst case scenario, the Jets get a really high draft pick and they're able to kind of expedite the process of the rebuild. Best case scenario, Sam Darnold starts getting better. The defense starts to move a little quicker, get some pressure on the quarterbacks. Offensive playmakers come alive, separate themselves from others. and Maybe we start making a little bit of a push. Fight for that last playoff spot. It is possible. Crazier things have happened. I need to remind you to rate, review, subscribe to this podcast anywhere podcasts are found. It's under the Gang Green Nation podcast, and all feedback is appreciated. You can also follow me at Jets underscore Dan on Twitter for random Jets tidbits, whatever thoughts I have throughout the week. We got a lot to get into in this one. I think I'm going to skip team stats because we got beat, obviously. They beat us on things like time of possession. They were better in the penalty department by yardage. Uh, third down efficiency, they were way better on rushing yards, things like that. It's just same old stuff. We're not going to beat a dead horse there. What we're going to focus on is a little bit of the coaching. We're going to go over the different position groups, you know, Sam Darnold. We're going to go over wide receivers, tight ends, running backs, offensive line. Then do the defense. We're going to talk a little special teams, do a preview for next week against the Colts, and then always our fun little what's on tap, little father time. But first, before getting to all that, we have to take a look at the division, the AFC East, to see what's going on. Because believe it or not, as bad as the Jets are playing, we are still hoping for a playoff spot. I am, at least. Some people have already given up. That's fine. I watch these weeks every week hoping they're going to win. You string wins together. Seven playoff teams, a division that potentially is up for grabs. The Buffalo Bills come back down to earth. We're going to focus on the division right now and just see where everybody's at. Your leaders in the division of the AFC East are the Buffalo Bills with a 2-0 record. They have beaten us. And the Dolphins, 2-0 in the division. They are on their way to taking this thing over. The only team they haven't played yet is the Patriots. And if they can beat them, they're going to be sitting pretty. The Patriots, 1-1, one one, lost to Russell Wilson and the Seahawks on Sunday Night Football. Very epic ending. Patriots actually made a bit of a comeback at the end. Cam Newton stopped short of the touchdown. Patriots lose. They're 1-1. One one. That team is very interesting right now because... The way Cam Newton is playing, running the ball a ton. I mean, he was finding a little bit of a rhythm against the Seahawks, but the defense isn't quite what it was. Stephon Gilmore was getting beat up by DK Metcalf, and you're just wondering, you know, just how far can this team go? It's clear that Bill Belichick is still coaching that team better than we've coached the Jets, maybe in my lifetime. They're still finding a way to get a lot out of their players, but you wonder their limitations in terms of personnel. When you look at their roster, it's nothing to be all that scared of unless Cam Newton becomes a monster again. So we'll see what happens with them. The Dolphins, they find themselves at 0-2, and it's been a tough season for them so far. They are starting off slow and flat, similar to the New York Jets, just not getting beaten beaten quite as badly. So I think that those games, we have uh, Dolphins, bye week, Dolphins in the middle of the season. I think those could be competitive games for both teams. We'll see if it's Ryan Fitzpatrick or if Tua ends up touching the field, because he's really, if you're looking at the Dolphins and you're kind of scouting the competition within the division, for the Dolphins, it really comes down to what Tua is able to do. So we're going to wait and see what's going on there. But the Jets, bottom basement of the AFC East, a division that we thought was potentially up for grabs. We're starting out 0-2. So 
So that is what is up with the AFC East. And now before we get into anything else, we're going to take a quick pit stop at the cooler for a little what's on tap. That is right. This is what's on tap. That is what I am drinking today. And today it is a Killington Beer Company. It's a beer called Daryl. D-A-R-R-Y-L. Daryl. An interesting name to be drinking a Daryl. But this is a strawberry golden ale. One pint, 16 ounce, 5% alcohol. And it was gotten for me by my roommate Kyle up in Killington when he made a trip up to Vermont. And basically, I'm, I'm going to have another sip because this is the second one of these I've had. First one I had, first sip, terrible. It's like, it's like, I don't even know, sour. It's got a really weird mouthfeel and it kind of tastes like a Natter Day, which is like a strawberry beer. But then as you keep drinking it and like that weird aftertaste goes away on your tongue, you start realizing that you're kind of pounding it similar to a Natter Day. Uh, the difference is Natter Day is extremely low quality made by, um, what is it, Keystone. And this is, you know, hopefully a nice little, Nice little operation up at Killington Beer Company. I've not been myself, but I imagine that it's a little bit more quaint than Keystone Light mixed with strawberry syrup or whatever it is. I mean, it wouldn't be my first choice, but it's drinkable. And at the end of the day, if you're drinking it, it's not so bad. I mean, can't complain too, too much. I don't know if it's a summer beer or a winter beer because it's not like sweet. It's just kind of like Ale plus strawberry. I don't know. It was nice. I appreciate it. Nice gift from the roommate. Something new. Always good to try. And, uh, yeah, so that is what I'm drinking for this episode. Now, before moving on to the coaching in this game, we got to do a quick commercial. All right, welcome back. We are going to talk offense of the New York Jets, specifically in this 49ers game, but we have to start with the coaching because Adam Gase... Still our offensive coach, right? Really our offensive coordinator because Dawa Loggins is just a lump on a log puppet for him. And it's getting to the point where I am over Adam Gase and his coaching and his offensive game plans. I'm over it. And I'm ready to move on from him. I know we've had two tough matchups with the defenses, but in reality, losing Bosa and Thomas and Richard Sherman not playing, I mean, we really should have been able to find something to do against the 49ers more than the 13 points we got. And when you look at his body of work as a New York Jets coach, there's very little to be impressed with. When you bring in a guy like Adam Gase, you're moving on from a Todd Bowles, from a Rex Ryan, who are defensive coordinators. And for the first time, the Jets went offense. Felt like it's been a lifetime. And it's like, great, we've got Sam Darnold here. We're going to put an emphasis there. Adam Gase has been referred to by some. The Johnsons, Peyton Manning, as a brilliant offensive mind. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say that I want Adam Gase fired because I hated what he did in Miami and I can't stand him as a person, and I think the players hate him. That's not what this is about. The reason that I think he's got to go is because of what he's done with the New York Jets and what he's expected to do. The goal of bringing a guy like him in is to have a very strong, positive impact on the offense and actually have a game plan that is identifiable as his own. It feels like when you're watching him, he's just going through another coach's playbook, like a Madden playbook, and he's just picking plays. And like everybody else that plays Madden, You've got your six, seven, eight favorite plays that you like to go to. You know, you'll mix it up here and there from the Madden playbook, but you've got the ones that you really feel confident in. He runs his team the exact same way. There's no ingenuity. There's no play that looks like, ooh, Adam Gase created that play specifically. 
I mean, sure, he likes to do some mesh concepts with guys on one side of the field and jumble it together and hope that a guy gets open and you split the soft part of a zone with too many players, but it's just not effective. When you look at guys like Andy Reid, Sean McVay, and I'm saying, yes, these are great offensive coordinators, but when you bring a guy in that's like this, for a guy like Sam Darnold, you should be getting a great offensive coordinator or play caller, somebody with real ideas. You can see Andy Reid's creativity. Even a guy like Matt Nagy, you can see his creativity. Doesn't always work, but you can see that he's trying it. Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay. There are some guys in the league that have identities. Adam Gase is no identity. Screen passes, runs up the middle. About 78% of our runs this year have been between the guard and center. I mean, we're hardly running outside. It's the same thing over and over. And we can do that with any coach. We, our defensive coordinator, we had offensive coordinators that were more successful. Chan Gailey had a more creative playbook than what Adam Gase is bringing out. And every once in a while, he does like an end around with a Josh Malone. Last year, he did a couple with like Vincent Smith. And they work. They're successful. But we don't do them again. And I know that plays like Wildcats and end arounds and flea flickers can be a little bit gimmicky. But when your offense is struggling the way that this one is, and you're an offensive genius, you should be running some option plays. You should be running some misdirections. Not just straight up the middle and short screens and short passes over and over again. He doesn't find a way to put Sam Darnold in good positions. And for those reasons, I'm over it. The other thing that bothers me about him is the coaching staff that he brings along. Dowell Loggins follows him everywhere, right? Dowell Loggins is the offensive coordinator and the quarterback's coach. So he's not even a full-time quarterback coach. We don't have one for Sam Darnold. The most important player on the team who's still yearning, learning, still so young, and we don't have somebody who's spending 100% of the practice with him working on mechanics and going through everything. We've got Dowell Loggins, who's the offensive coordinator, in meetings with Adam Gates with the offensive line tight ends, and then find some time for Sam Darnold here and there. I don't trust that guy to begin with. And he's already, it's just, it's a mess. Adam Gates needs to go. We've got to find a real offensive mind. I don't care if it's a head coach or just a really, really darn good offensive coordinator. Just somebody who's calling plays that are more beneficial to Sam Darnold and the team. So with that, we'll move over to Sam Darnold and his performance. This was a better game than week one. He wasn't quite as flustered. He didn't make as many bad decisions like running out of bounds and throwing bad interceptions as he did week one. But still, he struggled in this game. It can't all be on him because, of course, we're losing four of our top receivers. Actually, our one through four wide receiver not playing in this game. Rashad Perriman leaves early. Jameson Crowder not playing, Denzel Mims not playing, and Vincent Smith still on IR. So your starting receivers in this game are Chris Hogan, Braxton Berrios, Josh Malone. I mean, Perriman was in there for two receptions, 12 yards, but he left the game pretty early. When you're looking at that, you're like, okay, these are horrible weapons for Sam Darnold to have to work with. But still, the positions that he's put in with Adam Gates, it just doesn't allow anybody to be effective. It doesn't allow anybody to get into a rhythm, and we're forcing balls to Chris Hogan it's a mess overall. Sam Darnold ends with 179 yards. He gets a 30-yard pass at the very end of the game to get his only touchdown to Braxton Berrios. It's a 90 quarterback rating, so it ends up looking all right on paper. One touchdown, no interceptions. He didn't have any turnovers, and he only took one sack. So overall, it's a decent game from Sam Darnold. But what drives you crazy, and this goes back to the game planning from Adam Gase, is that he's not taking shots down the field. And I get it. Brashad Perriman's not there, and a lot of their one-on-one guys, like a Vincent Smith you'd like to throw deep to, or a Denzel Mims, jump ball type players, they're not playing. But just every once in a while, giving somebody a shot down the field 
just to at least keep the defense honest, take a shot, see if something works. Because in a game like this, where it's just not going, you got to try something new. And it can't just be the same short dink and dunks to bad players over and over. These guys don't get yards after catch. They're not known for ripping down contested catches. And it, it was just frustrating again. Two weeks in a row, we've seen Sam Darnold limited in his play calling, limited with the talent around him, struggling a little bit. I do feel like the protection for him is a little bit better, so he's maybe a little bit more comfortable this week getting the ball out of his hands. But it's it's just very difficult for him right now, and it's very tough to evaluate him because of the receivers that we have, because of this game plan that we have. I can't put it all on him. I have to say that most of it is Adam Gase, and a decent amount of it is the players that he's got. I still think that he's got tons of ability. We're just waiting to see it, and hopefully it's with the Jets. Hopefully it's sooner than later. Moving over to the running game, Le'Veon Bell put on IR, right? The three weeks he's going to be coming back, I think week five against the Cardinals. So this week, Frank Gore gets the start. He runs 21 times, 63 yards. He had a couple good runs in this game. He hits the hole a little bit harder than Bell, which is nice to see. But we're running up the middle consistently over and over, and, you know, not much to it. Michael Pirine was the exciting part of this game, I think, because he suited up for the first time. He ended up playing the most impactful backup running back position, I think, in this one. Uh, Kalen Balaj was there. Josh Adams was there. But LaMichael Pirine, even though he only got three carries, one of them was a 10-yarder, and he totaled 17 yards on it. So it's just a few carries, but it's something to be excited about. That's 5.7 yards per attempt and a 10-yarder in there. On only three carries, you think to yourself, all right, this guy potentially can be a gamer. we got to get him more involved. We'll see if Adam Gase can find a way to get these guys involved in the passing game, one way or another. Let's get the ball in their hands. Somebody with some speed and some ability with the ball in their hands. The rest of it, Nothing special. Kalen Balazs is here back on the roster. Somehow he found his way. I don't know what deal he signed with the devil, but he's here with the New York Jets after failing a physical still. One rush, five yards. Josh Adams, he had one carry in this game. That fourth down didn't get it, and uh, that was a huge bummer. I don't know why the Jets would give Josh Adams a fourth and one opportunity. A guy that has had very, very minimal carries with the New York Jets, and you've got a guy like Frank Gore and a young leg like Michael Pierre. I'd like to see somebody else with it. I'd like to see Sam Darnold do a QB sneak, to be honest. Jets don't get it there, so not a great game. When you look at the wide receivers and the tight ends in this one, it was it was ugly because of the players that we were putting on the field. Chris Hogan, I've given him a hard time on this podcast. I don't think that he's very talented at this point in his career. I don't think that even his ceiling at his best was just okay, and now he's a little bit lower than that. But I think it was clear to see that Sam Darnold trusts Chris Hogan more than guys like Berrios, Malone, and maybe even his tight ends right now. He thinks that Chris Hogan can can get open, catch the ball, bring it down, and he got the most targets on the team with eight. 75 yards, six receptions for Chris Hogan. His best game is a New York Jet by far after having a really, really bad week one. He actually had an impact, but, you know, I mean, at a certain level, somebody's playing wide receiver. No matter who you put out there, somebody's going to catch the ball. Chris Hogan was a little bit of that, maybe with some veteran presence. Braxton Berrios, this was a big week for Braxton because I said going into this thing with Jameson Crowder out in the slot, this was a big week for Braxton to step up and try to play slot. The reason behind that is Jameson Crowder is one of the best slot receivers in the league when he's playing. Braxton Berrios is on the team right now as the fifth or sixth receiver, primarily for his punt returning. Now, Chris Hogan got a punt return in this game, which was a little bizarre, but Braxton Berrios, if he can't play wide receiver, 
and all he can do is punt return, he's not going to be on this roster for long because we all like him as a punt returner, but he's not explosive or dynamic. He's not great on the coverage special teams. And when he's fair catching the ball most of the time and he runs a punt back for 14 yards, you know, once every other week, it's really not that impactful if he can't play wide receiver also. So it's a big week. You finally get to step up, show what you can do with Sam Darnold. He did have six catches in this game for 59 yards on eight targets. I thought it was a pretty good game from Berrios. He had a couple tough runs, a couple tough grabs, went down, got a first down. And then at the end of the game, a 30-yarder on a really nice throw by Sam Darnold, rolling to his left, comes across his body. Those beautiful throws that you see out of Sam Darnold every once in a while, and you're like, oh, that is it. And he hit Braxton Berrios right on the hands, 30-yard touchdown for him. I think that was his first career NFL touchdown, so very exciting for Braxton Berrios course it was under two minutes so it was just garbage time and it didn't mean much in terms of the ending result for the New York Jets but it was nice to see Braxton Berrios stepping in getting those 60 yards and that touchdown and getting a little bit of chemistry with Sam Darnold I'm not going to say that Braxton Berrios should be a number one two or three option as a receiver on this team but I do think with his age being really young the contract that he's on which is super cheap his ability to punt return and then clearly being able to play somewhat meaningful minutes receiving I think he did a lot for his case to remain on the team, not only for this year, but potentially for next year as well. The rest of the receiving was just, Josh Malone had a decent run on an end around. It was like 10 yards. That was all right. Other than that, Josh Malone is absolutely nothing special. Brashad Perriman, he played, as we said, very minimally early on. And the biggest issue in this game is not the wide receivers, because when you go into this game with Chris Hogan, Braxton Berrios, Josh Malone, and a quarter or so of Brashad Perriman, no Le'Veon Bell either, mind you, you think to yourself, well, this got to be all about the tight ends, right? You got to be looking at guys like Ryan Griffin and most importantly, Chris Herndon, who found himself in the doghouse last week. Well, guess what? Chris Herndon is back in the doghouse again this week because another pitiful performance from Chris, Ho- uh, Chris Herndon. Four targets in this game, one catch, five yards. This is the guy that we were so excited to see coming into the season. He was injured, suspended. Unable to play last year, but had a very promising rookie year. He was a guy that a lot of people were taking on their fantasy teams as a guy that breakout tight end of the year. A guy that we thought could be the focal point of this offense, especially especially with the injuries that we have. And he can't even get open to make a catch. And the catches, the opportunities that he did get, like one in the end zone on the side, yes, it's a tough catch. But you know what? If you're Chris Herndon and you're out there to be a receiving tight end and you're supposed to be trending up, you make that catch because it hit you in the hands and your feet were in bounds. Chris Herndon is playing horribly. It's it's really disappointing. Potentially game plan as well, well because you don't see Ryan Griffin showing up in the box score. You don't see him really anywhere on the field. You're seeing Trevon Wesco more often, playing a fullback role, decent blocks from Wesco in this game. Got to give him credit there. But Chris Herndon, that whole group, it's just, it's just missing. I mean, we're going to go back to, what, the 2016 or 15 Jets when it was like we led the league or we had the least amount of receptions for a tight end in the entire NFL. It looks like we're going right back to that again. Just not utilizing these weapons. We've got to find a way to get him back on track because he's supposed to be one of the most valuable players to our offense. Again, Chris Hurd in the doghouse, two weeks in a row. I can't believe it. I thought he was going to be star of the game first week, second week. I thought he was going to be one of our knights in shining armor this year. He's instead a non-factor and actually doing more damage than good. So those are our playmakers. Really, uh, really positive stuff for that group, huh? I think when you look at the offensive line, there's a little bit more to get excited about than the playmakers. And I'm going to start right away 
with my star of the week on offense, Makai Becton. Makai Becton is an awesome left tackle. You can see it. He doesn't make huge mistakes. We haven't seen him really blow play yet, which is a left tackle. New York Jets fans have seen it the last couple of years since Brick left. We've seen some mistakes on that left side. The offensive line as a whole, we see it. Makai Becton this year, he's playing pretty much mistake-free football, and he's dominating players on plays. In the run game, we're finding success to his side, and he's throwing people around at times. You find some clips of him, you look on Twitter, you look online at some of his highlights from the games, it's like, holy moly. There are not that many players in the NFL that can just manhandle a 250-pound defensive end like that. It's awesome. And Mekhi Becton is, in my opinion, the best young tackle that we could have gotten. It's a dream come true, right? We were looking at Jedrick Wills, Tristan Wirfs. We were looking at um, Andrew Thomas. It's possible tackles for the New York Jets. We knew we wanted to get something on the O-line. Mekhi Becton is as promised. He is awesome. And he's only going to get better. He's going to be here for a long time, sure enough, that side. I mean, that is huge positivity for the New York Jets offense. That's one of the most important premium positions on a football team. Probably the most, the number two position on offense behind only quarterback. And we've got what looks to be like one of the best ones in the league. I'm super excited about Mekhi Becton. Moving away from that, it's not quite as good. George, uh, George Fant's been okay. When you look at the guards, I'm not happy with the play from Alex Lewis or Greg Van Roten. I think both of them are average to below average. And then Connor McGovern in the middle, who's one of our, he's supposed to be one of our anchors. He's here for a couple of years. He's got a hamstring injury. So he's been all right. He's been solid. Definitely better than what we had from guys like Spencer Long and Wesley Johnson. But now having him injured, we're going to be looking at potentially Josh Andrews next week. We got to get McGovern back because this unit needs to start clicking. And I think they will. I think they are starting to kind of get it a little bit more. Week two looked better than week one. But, of course, injuries can set you back because who knows how well Josh Andrews is going to play for the Jets and McGovern's uh, injury time. He's considered week to week right now, as is Brashad Perriman. So we'll monitor that. Maybe not this week. we got a short week against the Broncos after the Colts game. And then potentially, you know, that Cardinals week, I think there's going to be a lot of guys coming back healthy for that Cardinals matchup week five. Definitely a week to keep our eyes on. Now, before moving over to the defensive side of the ball, I am going to read a submission by my father, Dave Burnham, for this week's Father Time, the section where my dad sends me an article or a submission on his thoughts on the New York Jets from the current week. And I read it for you guys. He's a great fan, and we're happy to have these things. So today's Father Time is as follows. Great news. The top four rated offensive rookies by Pro Football Focus through two weeks. Offensive linemen. Number two, Michael Nwenu, Patriots, guard. Number three, Damian Lewis, Seahawks, guard. Number four, Tristan Wirfs, Bucks, tackle. Number one, Makai Becton, Jets, tackle. All of them have started the first two games of the season. It's also true that the Jets are fourth in the NFL in yards per carry to the left side. That's our rookie. Next, I'm not sure if the numbers that I heard are completely accurate, but supposedly the TV ratings are way down for the New York Jets this season. That has to impact the revenues for the Johnson's wallet. If the bottom line is suffering, that would be a big reason to let Gase go and start figuring out who actually can put a winning team together. I've wondered if the profits outweigh wins and losses for some teams, the Jets being one of them. If the stadium is empty, no seats filled, no beers filled and spilled, no hot dogs eaten, no hats bought, then add on 
No one's watching the game on TV. I expect that would pose a problem. But I'm not sure about that. For instance, if revenue is shared evenly amongst all teams, is it? Even if it is, if the biggest city in the country isn't contributing in a very positive way to the overall bottom line, it must be some sort of red flag for Woody Johnson and the boys. Fans are loyal. That's what makes them fans. Fans, however, are not fools, and eventually they get weary and wise up to a chronic, substandard product. So, in JD we trust. Drink what's on tap to the future. Go Jets. Cue the drink. End scene. Thank you, Dad. Great submission this week. I love that he always ends it in JD we trust, because in JD we do trust, and that is the light that is guiding us through this tunnel. But two parts here. Number one, Mekhi Becton graded number one pro football focus offensive line rookie in the league this year. That's great news. There are a bunch of guys to pick from. We talked about that. Mekhi Becton, he's exactly what we wanted. So far, so great. Playing against good defensive lines, mind you. Jerry Hughes, Nick Bosa, for what Nick Bosa was in there for. The 49ers, the Bills. Now, number two, I'm not too sure about all the uh, profits for the NFL, but I'm with him. I think that it definitely is posing a problem. If people don't want to watch this team, you can't go to the game and they don't want to watch it on TV, then it would be, I mean, there's definitely metrics that are being followed by people around the NFL saying, hey, the Jets are trending downwards. Now, the problem is, what does that really inspire for change? So Woody Johnson can sell the Jets, but he won't. So then the next thing to do would be, all right, we could fire our general manager and try to do a whole new clean sweep and start this thing from scratch. We just did that. So Joe Douglas is staying. Really what it could mean is that he's thinking to himself, Adam Gase is not the guy, in which case he has to step in and say, hey, Joe Douglas, you got to get this guy out of here. It's very possible that could happen. But at the end of the day, if he trusts in Joe Douglas and wants him to remain there, I would think that Joe Douglas, if he said to him, listen, Adam Gase is our guy, then Woody Johnson would kind of have to respect that to a certain level. I mean, he could force him out. But how can he admit to no more than the guy that he just offered to pay a bunch of money to to do that exact same role? But he definitely could be in his ear a little bit and say, listen, I would not be upset if you fired Adam Gase and got us somebody good. Hopefully he's willing to pay him, willing to pay a good head coach to come in here. That would be a big sign for Woody Johnson. If he's willing to give a mega contract to somebody who could be, I'm not talking about years, but I'm talking about something that's just financially enticing to come here, be a coach of the New York Jets, as bad as they are give Joe Douglas the ability to bring them in. I think that's something that could be great. So it's a bummer that the Jets numbers are down if that's true. But what do you expect when you put a bad team on the field? You know, it feels like, I don't know, nine years in a row with the exception of one Ryan Fitzpatrick season. That's what you get. So thank you, Dad, for that submission for this week's Father Time. Now, before going over to the defense, commercial. Alrighty, now it is time to talk New York Jets defense in the game against the San Francisco 49ers. Overall, let's talk coaching real quick. I like Greg Williams. I like the schemes that he runs. The players on the field, I don't think have a ton to give him back. We are missing some young guys. We are missing Jabari Zaniga. We're missing Bryce Hall, who could be a good corner. We're missing two linebackers. Basically, every Williamson was injured, only played 27% of snaps this week. We're missing CJ Mosley. It's difficult for him right now. But the guys that are out there on the field, they are slow and they are hard to work with. We don't get a ton of pressure on the quarterback. It's been an issue. Greg Williams is given a pretty 
a pretty poor, slow-moving, bad pursuit, unaggressive, uninspired, flat defense, and is trying to scheme up plays that are going to confuse a defense, but at the end of the or confuse an offense. But at the end of the day, if you don't have the horses, you can only do so much. He masked a pretty bad team last year, but he had a guy like Jamal Adams who could make, you know, big splash plays. And this year, without that, and with the guys injured and opting out that we've had, it's just become very challenging for him. Now, the Buffalo Bills are a good offense so far this season. The San Francisco 49ers are also a good offensive line with a good running game. They're a very efficient, productive offense. So maybe when we play teams like the Dolphins, potentially the Broncos with the backup, maybe we'll see the defense start to thrive. That's very possible. You know, take advantage of those games that you can win. Really look good, those ones. Of course, get outplayed by the smart, well-coached teams. 49ers, Bills. I'm not upset with Greg Williams. I think he's doing a good job. I think that the team is just not, just not there, talent-wise, for him to be as good as he is. But later in the year when we play some worse teams, I think we will see the Jets defense make some big plays. We just have to get some guys back. We got to see some people step up this year. Now moving over to the individual position groups, I want to start on the defensive line as always, but also because we have our defensive star of the week on the defensive line. One, Quinnen Williams, a guy that is part of that group of players that we're evaluating. A second year player who was a third overall pick last year. He had mixed rookie season. He had some good plays some nice game-winning tackles, but at the same time, he was quiet for spans of the season. He didn't get a ton of huge quarterback hit numbers, not a ton of tackle for losses, and you wondered what he could come back in week year two with. He got ripped in the offseason, trained heavily, got his braces off. Comes in week one, not a great performance. Week two, totally different story. The guy has two sacks in this game, multi-sack game. He had four tackles for a loss, those two quarterback hits, he had seven tackles. I mean, this guy was exactly what you were hoping for when you drafted him. This was the best game individually probably by him so far. And in the first half, it was getting to a point where it was just like, I had to just start watching Quinn and Williams, watching his plays rewinding, watching him again because he kept blasting through, getting players in the backfield, getting hits on the quarterback, and making a huge impact on defense. So Quinn and Williams, absolutely the defensive star of the week this week. Everybody else in the defensive line, this was one of the most quiet collective performances I've seen from that group in a very long time. I'm talking about Steve McClendon, Foley Fadakasi, Kyle Phillips, Henry Anderson, Nathan Shepard. Those guys were almost silent on the field. And we can stop the run decently up the middle, but we have trouble setting the edge when guys get outside or do cutbacks, as we saw Tevin Coleman do this week on a big third and 31 or most are getting around the outside, I mean, they have trouble. So these guys, they're in there to stop throwing up the middle and hopefully get some pressure on the quarterback. We have not gotten any of that. Henry Anderson, silent again, missing from the field. I mean, he's one of those guys that you could consider putting in the doghouse for their performance because he's playing over 50% of snaps and he's making almost no positive impact other than maybe clogging some lanes in the run game. That's fine. We appreciate clogged run lanes. But you still have to, when you're being paid what he's getting paid, you know, $7 million, and you're a guy that's had eight, nine sacks before, you can't be quiet for this long and still be seen as the same player because that's he's not here to just be a run stopper. He's here to make an impact on the quarterback trying to throw the ball. 
He's not doing that. So I'm having issues with him. The rest of the defensive line, really quiet game. Tough assignment against the San Francisco 49ers offensive line. We'll see if they can get it together in week three against the Colts, who also have another great offensive line. But hopefully these guys can start to get a little bit more pressure, make quarterbacks uncomfortable. Linebackers, again, I mean, not much to say there. Jordan Jenkins, he had a sack in this game, so it was nice to see him get on the board in that. But overall, he's had a really quiet year. The linebackers as a whole, Williamson played minimally. Lange played a lot less this week. You had like Hewitt and Alec Ogletree, who's a lot older and looks way slower than ever before. He's coming in to play some linebacker. Not a great group there. Definitely, definitely poor speed. Some of the reason for the big gainers. Not great in coverage. Some of the reason for the short comeback throws that Garoppolo and Nick Mullins were able to make. When you're over the DBs, I think that Bless Austin is still having a pretty solid season. He's good, not great. Desir had one ball land on his hands in the interception, so exciting for him, but otherwise he's been spotty on his coverage. We saw a little bit of Quincy Wilson in this game who ended up getting injured. We saw a little bit of Arthur Mallette in this game. When you go over to the safeties, Ashton Davis actually touched the field as a safety, but was very quiet. And uh, Marcus May and Bradley McDougal, they were out there, but still somewhat quiet games. Overall, I think that uh, it's not the strongest tackling defensive backfield that we've had. I think that when you look at like Bless Austin and other side, a guy like Pierre Desir or a Quincy Wilson or Arthur Mollette, Brian Poole, even Marcus May and Bradley McDougal. These guys are not great, great tacklers. And there were a bunch of missed tackles from that defensive backfield that gave the 49ers a lot of extra yardage, helped them complete some third downs and made everything a lot tougher. So when you talk about guys that aren't overall the fastest guys in the league and they're also not the best tacklers in the league, it's just it's just a tough group to potentially work with. I mean, we need a couple big guys back there on that defense, on that back end. We need a really good corner. You know, maybe Ashton Davis steps up and plays really good safety for us, but he's not there yet. So a lot of work to be done on that defense. So now we can talk special teams because we still actually have one more star of the game to give out. And we can start there. Our guy, Samuel Thicken, who again, Two weeks in a row. Goes perfect on kicks. This week, two for two from field goal. One for one on extra points. 100% this year so far. He kicked a 41-yarder. Seven points for the New York Jets. We only scored 13. I think that when Sam Thicken is playing perfect kicking game, you got to kind of give him a little bit of credit. So he gets our star of the week for special teams. Kick return game. Nothing special going on. There's a decent return by Josh Malone for 32 yards in a kick return. But... Nothing crazy there. Punting, Braden Mann, he's solid. He still has a he has a couple nice kicks here and there. He's still kind of inconsistent. I hope he can get that together, but you know he's got a rocket. When he can hit it just right, that bar go, ball goes far. You just got to hope you don't outkick your coverage team. Um, but Braden Mann was holding, and he actually had a really nice hold on a bad snap um, from Thomas Hennessy that went, Braden Mann caught it, got it down just in time. Thicken makes the kick. Very good to see Braden Mann stepping up in that place kicking uh that holder position. Good to see that. So special teams, no huge boneheaded plays, no big splash plays, but they made their kicks. Overall, decent game from the unit. So that concludes our offense, defense, and special teams wrap-ups. That gives us our three stars of the game. Offense, Makai Becton, his first time this year. Defensive line, Quinn and Williams, his first time this year. And special teams, Sam Ficken, 
for his second week in a row. And then checking in on the doghouse, Chris Herndon has occupied that all season long. We'll see if he can get out in week three. So that brings us to our final segment of the episode, the weekly preview coming up against the Indianapolis Colts in Indianapolis. The New York Jets will play at 4.05 on CBS on the 27th. And the Colts are 1-1 one one right now. They lost to the Jaguars first game of the year, 27-20. to Then they come out against what looks to be a very bad, surprisingly bad Vikings team. They win that game 28-11. to When you're looking at this team, there's a few things to look at. You want to look at the offense of the Colts? Offensive line starts there. They've got a very strong offensive line, a very good unit that has remained together for like three, four years now. And when you go to the running backs, Marlon Mack is out, but they've got two guys, young Jonathan Taylor, who's a really good-looking rookie, and then you've got Naheem Hines, who's a good pass-catching, kind of surprising, uh, you know, speed guy to have in the in the offense as well. Now, we know that Phillip Rivers is the quarterback there this year, and while he's aging, he still is a veteran who can get it done. He has shown some arm strength so far this season. I'm not sure how much he's got left, if it's going to make it till the end of the year, but you know, he's trending down, but still has a bit left in the tank, and we're seeing it so far this year. He's been a little up and down, but uh, definitely can make things happen. Not with his feet, but still with his arm. One of the things about Phillip Rivers is we know he likes to do checkdowns to running backs. He's going to be dishing it off to Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines. And I think when you look at what the 49ers were able to do against the Jets in open field, it makes sense to try to get the ball out to them on the outside. Get them to make our cornerbacks tackle, to get our outside linebackers and middle linebackers over on the sidelines to see if they can cover that ground. I wouldn't be surprised to see them doing a ton of that outside work on the New York Jets this week. Not trying to run so much up the middle, but go outside. And when it comes to Phillip Rivers, it's tough because you've really got two approaches on this one. They've got a great offensive line. If you rush four guys, you're probably not going to get a ton of pressure on them. You're not going to make them too uncomfortable, but you've got seven guys back in coverage. It gives him time to stand in the pocket, and if he's feeling good, he'll find guys open because we don't have the best one-on-one coverage guys. We don't have the best zone covering corners or DBs, and he'll be able to find some guys that are open if he's got enough time in the pocket. The other side is you can blitz players, right? You can send five, six guys to try to make Phillip Rivers uncomfortable. The problem is if he's playing well and he's reading the blitzes nicely, he's going to be able to find one-on-one matchups with our cornerbacks. He's going to be able to find his tight end and we're not going to have as many people back in coverage, he may he may be able to exploit that. So it comes down to a mixture of giving him some time in the pocket and seeing if he's comfortable finding his guys, if his receivers are able to get open, because he doesn't have the most, the Colts don't have the most talented wide receiver and position group in the whole league. I think their run game looks pretty good with that offensive line. Their receivers, not the most challenging assignment that the Jets have had so far this year. But... You know, we got to make him uncomfortable one way or another and hope that he's just not on. Because if he's on, the Jets are going to be in trouble. When it comes to scoring, you look at the Vikings last week were only able to score 11 points against the Colts. The Jets' offense so far has not really shown up. And now the Colts are not known for being an extremely, extremely talented defensive unit. They're not super aggressive. They're definitely above average, and they definitely will be able to make Sam Darnold's life difficult. And if we don't have players getting open, we can't block and make good running lanes. Adam Gase, you know he's going to run up the middle over and over again. So if Josh Andrews comes in as our backup center, if he's not able to make some open holes for us, if Greg Van Roten 
and Alex Lewis aren't able to deliver in those holes that Adam Gase insists on sending his running backs, that's going to be trouble for us. Overall, the Indianapolis Colts are considered to be a probable playoff team, and some people think that they could even compete for the Super Bowl. The Jets aren't quite there, and three weeks in a row, the Jets are going to be playing a team that is much better than them. Built better, more players across the field, and healthier. It's going to be difficult sledding for the New York Jets. I'm not sure if this is the week that Sam Darnold gets it back together. I mean, week one, we were 6.5 underdogs to the Bills. Week two, we're 7-point underdogs to the 49ers. This week, we're I think right now we're sitting at 9 points. I mean, it's getting progressively worse and worse. They're all good teams, but this Jets team, it hasn't shown up yet. It just hasn't. It hasn't shown up on defense. It hasn't shown up on offense. Nothing makes you nervous about this team. You could hope, you could hope that the Colts view this as a trap game. You could hope that they're thinking to themselves, you know, we've got an easy schedule coming up. If you look at the Colts' schedule coming up, it's Jets, Bears, Browns, Bengals, Lions. I mean, geez, if the Jets had that schedule, they'd win some games. The Colts potentially can be looking at this saying, oh, now we're going to rack up some games, and maybe, just maybe, they'll, uh, you know, set themselves up for a trap game, not take the Jets as seriously as they should, but, you know, at the same time, maybe they don't even have to. It's going to come down to if Adam Gase is able to be creative for the first time in his career. If he's able to find some mismatches. If we can get a couple guys back and healthy. I mean, Crowder would be huge to have for the New York Jets. Can Chris Herndon finally get involved in a game? Will Michael Pirine coming back a little healthier? Can we get him the ball in open field and see what he can do? Can we watch Mekhi Becton continue flattening people on the offensive line? Can Quinn and Williams keep his stunning performance up back-to-back weeks? And will the rest of the defensive line show up, start getting a pass rush? Guys like Jordan Jenkins, Basham, Henry Anderson. Can these guys finally start getting after a quarterback that has trouble moving in the pocket? I don't have much hope for the middle linebackers. Avery Williamson, though, can he get healthy? Can he start playing meaningful minutes, replace guys like Alec Ogletree and Harvey Lange, who are still getting minutes on the field? Avery Williamson, be nice to see him get 100% of snaps or something and see him back to his old form. I mean, you have to, one, you got to get him on the field, but two, you got to hope that he can play you know, the same level that he was playing when he got injured. It's been over a year, so you're not entirely positive that's what's going to happen. But can Marcus May recreate what he had going week one all over the field? LaShawn Austin, Pierre Desir, can these guys shut some players down, maybe make some plays one-on-one battles on the ball, not get burned? And can this team just not get too many penalties, play a clean game, and just have some semblance of a plan Something, something that looks like, ooh, they're doing things different. Because they're playing a totally different team in the Colts versus the 49ers, their game plan looks different. It's a lot to ask. It feels like it shouldn't be, but it feels like it is. I'm going to predict the Jets lose this game. Honestly, at this point, I'm looking at 27 to 13. I'm thinking the Jets are scoring 13 points because that's what they do. I'm thinking the Colts are able to score 27 points. Because that's basically what they've done so far this year. They probably, yeah, they'll, I mean, it's, if we're predicting it right now, if history through the first two weeks has told us anything, it's going to be a similar performance to week one and two. I hope that's not the case. I'll still be looking forward to it. I'll still be there cheering my butt off for the New York Jets from kickoff to 
the last whistle. Because that's what we do. And we know as Jets fans that there are brighter days ahead. We know that Joe Douglas has a plan that we have mortgaged a little bit of what we had going for this year for the future. We've got two first-round draft picks in the next two years. And I know some people don't want to hear about pushing it towards the future because we've been doing that for probably their whole lives. But if you have the right guy in place, you draft well, and you have that many picks, eventually it does work. If the right guy's in place, if he's picking the right guys. So it's very possible this whole thing works out. But until then, we will be back next week. Every Tuesday, these podcasts are going to be coming up this year. And following every single game, win or lose for the New York Jets, I'll be breaking it down. You can follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan. And don't forget to rate, review, subscribe to this podcast. Enjoy football. Let's go Jets. I'm Dan Burnham, and this is The Jet Life. (laughs) 